0: Well, as you know, last Lord's Day, we were in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. As you'll recall, that verse gives us the very important command, be filled, or more literally, keep on being filled, or keep on being controlled with the Spirit. I think it's safe to say that every true born-again believer desires to be filled or controlled by the Holy Spirit. Spirit. But the question for you today is Are you? Are you filled by the Holy Spirit? How would you answer that question today? Would you answer with a yes or a no? Or maybe with a maybe? I'm not really sure if I am spirit filled. Well, if you were to answer yes or no, what do you base that on? Do you base it on a feeling? Well, if you do, that's really not the best grounds to base your answer on because, of course, feelings can be unreliable. They can be subjective. If you were to answer, maybe I'm spirit filled, but I'm not sure, the question is, well, how can you know when you are spirit filled? How can we, and even how can other Christians know that we are spirit filled? As Christians, we do not have some kind of sacred gauge that we can look down on that will determine whether we're full of the Spirit or not. So how do we know if we are? Is this just something we're left to guess or wonder about? Well, thankfully, the answer to that is no. Thankfully, God's Word gives us some very objective evidences that indicate whether or not we are truly Spirit-filled, Spirit-controlled Believers. And if these evidences are present in our lives, then we can know we're spirit filled. And if they are absent from our lives, well, then we need to do those things that we considered last Lord's Day to be filled with the Spirit. We need to repent of known sin in our lives. We need to yield every air of our lives to the Spirit's control. We need to be dwelling in the Word of God. We need to pray to the Lord and worship Him. Those are the, you'll remember, the biblical means for being filled by the Spirit. But for today, we want to answer the question, what are the evidences of being filled with the Spirit so that we can gauge whether or not we are truly Spirit-controlled? Well, our text for today, Ephesians 5, 19-21, tell us what these evidences are. Now, as you find your way to those verses... Let's just quickly review what's led up to them. You'll remember in the first half of Ephesians chapter 5, Paul is urging us to walk like God, follow in his steps as it were, to live like God our Heavenly Father. As his children, we are to follow in his steps in three kinds of walks. You'll remember the first one is that we are to walk in love like God. We are also to walk in light like God. And as verses 15 through 17 speak of, we are to walk in wisdom like God. More specifically, in those verses we learn to live wisely, we must make the best use of our time and understand and do God's will in these present evil days. And yet the reality is, is we cannot do these things. We cannot do God's will for our lives and our own strength. And so we need the Holy Spirit to work in us and through us to do God's will, which is why Paul commands in verse 18 to be filled or be controlled by the Spirit. In order to live wisely, we must be Spirit-controlled. We must live the Spirit-filled life. Well, beginning today in Ephesians 5.19 and stretching all the way down to chapter 6, verse 9, the Apostle Paul is going to show us what, the kind, what this kind of spirit-filled life looks like. And so in those verses, again, from chapter five, nineteen down through 6, 9, in that portion, he's going to show us what the results of being spirit-controlled are. Well, today, in verses 19 through 21, we're going to begin this new section by looking at four evidences of the spirit-controlled life. As we... Read our text here in a moment. See if you can spot those evidences. We're going to actually begin reading in verse 18 because that is the command that controls the entire passage. God's Word declares, beginning in verse 18, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord, with your heart. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. As you probably noticed, as we read verses 19 through 21 there, there are five present tense participles. And you may want to go ahead and underline those in your Bible. They are addressing, singing, making melody, giving thanks, and submitting. Today, we're going to group those five participles uh, together and put them under four main heads, which are the evidences of being spirit-controlled. In some, our text teaches this. Believers evidence that they are spirit-controlled by their individual and corporate worship, thankfulness, and submission. So first, believers evidence that they are spirit-controlled by their corporate worship. Again, look at verse 19. Uh, Paul first writes, be filled with the Spirit, and then verse 19, addressing or speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Christians are a singing people, and there are some very good reasons for this. We are new creations in Christ, they have a new song in our heart that we've just got to get out We have to sing because the truths concerning God and his glories and his grace and redemption and Christ are simply too great for us to only speak about them. We feel too deeply about them. We have to rejoice in them in song. As the psalmist says, it is fitting for the upright to praise the Lord. As Christians Our hearts should brim and overflow with adoration for affection for the Lord so that we need to do something to express our awe of him, to express our love for him that goes beyond just speaking in ordinary prose. We need to express our adoration and our affection for the Lord in poetry set to music. In other words, we have to sing about our great God. We have to sing about who he is and what he has done for us in Christ. And this is just the result of being spirit-filled. Singing naturally flows out of our hearts and over our lips when we are spirit-filled. And When we do this in corporate worship, we not only glorify God, but we also edify the brethren. As Paul says in verse 19, we address or we speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Now, as I've already hinted at, the Greek word there for address or speak to one another means more than just speaking in normal conversational tones in a conversational voice. It certainly includes that. But it is not confined to that. It goes beyond that. It covers every kind of utterance, every kind of sound, which includes singing to one another. Now, if you look down later in verse 19, Paul is going to talk about the vertical dimension of singing, which is singing to the Lord. But it's interesting here in verse 19, he doesn't start with the vertical dimension. He instead starts with the horizontal dimension and the corporate dimension. Dimension, which immediately lets us know that the Spirit-controlled life is to be lived in the community with other believers. It is not to be lived in isolation from other Christians. It is to be lived in a deep relationship with them in which we mutually build up one another in Christ. And one of the ways that we Mutually build up one another is by singing to one another. Spirit-filled life, therefore spirit-filled worship, is not self-centered. It's not self-absorbed. No, God calls us to speak in song to one another. Unfortunately, many Christians today come into corporate worship services like this one. And when they come into it, they, they take a very individualistic approach to it. You may find them closing their eyes as corporate singing is going on, and it usually happens in a dimly lit room. And the purpose of that is to give sort of the feeling of a personal, private moment with the Lord. The idea is I'm having a Jesus in me experience. But I want to say that's all wrong. We should not treat corporate worship as an exclusive Jesus and me moment. We come to worship not as individuals, but as the body of Christ, as the people of God. Sadly, many Christians in corporate worship today forget about the people that are around them as they are singing. They don't think in this horizontal dimension, which our text is clearly highlighting for us. we got to understand, spirit-filled worship is to be marked by a family spirit of mutual encouragement. As we're going to see, yes, of course, we sing in exaltation of God. There is that vertical dimension. But when we sing, we are also building up other believers, and they are building us up. In other words, we are mutually building up one another as we worship the Lord. So this is why we keep the lights on up here. This is why we emphasize corporate worship. We want to be able to see one another and minister to one another horizontally as we sing praise to the Lord. We're to address one another through our song. Paul says something similar to this in the parallel passage to our text. It's found in Colossians 3.16. There the apostle writes, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So, we're to teach and admonish one another through our singing. What does that imply? Well, it implies that our songs should not only be addressed to the Lord. Certainly, they should be, but not exclusively. There's also a place for some of our songs to address each other. Some of our songs should be exhorting one another to keep following the Lord. The point is, our singing is not just about addressing the Lord, and it's certainly not just about me individually having a moment and special experience with God. No, it's about us worshiping the Lord together, which also mutually edifies us. Of course, we see this idea of corporate worship throughout Scripture. We see a lot of it in the Psalms. For example, Psalm 95, 1 and 2, which we read earlier in the service. O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. So you'll notice here, it's not not let me come, it's let us come to worship the Lord together. Why? Because when we sing, it's not intended only to bless the Lord, but it's also intended to bless other believers. As we raise our voices and praise to God, we also speak to others about God's greatness. This is Instructing, this is edifying them, and they likewise are instructing and they are edifying us at the same time. So, with this being said, let me exhort all of us to sing out in corporate worship. We should not mumble through the words to songs that we sing. I want to encourage you to let it rip, sing it out. You say, but I don't have a very good voice. You say, I'm, I'm kind of self-conscious about how I sing. I don't sing very well. well. I want to encourage you not to think that way. As we read just a moment ago, what does it say? Make a joyful noise to the Lord. It doesn't say, now only sing if you can sing it musically correct. Sing with joy. Sing it loudly. That's what it says. And when you do, it will bless and it will edify your fellow worshipers around you. I know I've been personally blessed and edified in corporate worship when hearing some rather sour note singers before. I have been. Yes, they sing off pitch. But it sounds beautiful to my ears because I know They're making a joyful noise to the Lord from their heart. They love the Lord. They adore the Lord. And they want everyone to know it. And in turn, what does that do? That edifies fellow worshipers. Brother, and I am serious when I say I would much rather listen to a whole congregation of true believers that sing from their heart to the Lord and yet are a little off pitch than to listen to professional choir of unbelievers who sing sacred music perfectly listen spirit filled singing has nothing to do with musical ability it has nothing to do with sounding good to our human ears it is with the heart it's with the heart that we honor god and edify fellow believers so please i'm i'm calling on you today If you consider yourself to be one of those who can't carry a tune in a bucket, you know who you are. And yet you love the Lord. You love him. Because you do, I want to ask you to do something that will glorify God and that will edify the brethren. I want to ask you not to be shy, but to make a joyful noise to the Lord. To sing out. And if someone says to you after the service, please don't sing out like that. You sound horrible. If they say that to you, I give you permission to say, listen, I'm just trying to do what the pastor told me to do. And more importantly, I'm trying to do what the Lord has told me to do. And then I want to encourage you in the next service to sing even louder. Make a joyful noise to the Lord. Sing out no matter what your musical ability may be. It's very interesting here that the first evidence of a spirit-filled life that Paul mentions is not some kind of ecstatic spiritual experience like speaking in tongues or performing miracles and healings. No, the first consequence of the spirit-filled life is simply singing with joy in your heart to the Lord. So every one of us should sing out from the heart we should sing out with affection robustly, vigorously, joyfully and if we do we'll not only please the Lord but we will build up one another now in verse 19 Paul gives you'll notice three words to describe the kinds of songs that we are to sing in corporate worship we should sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs now that trio of songs obviously shows us that there should be some variety in our worship songs because God is infinitely beautiful and in his variety. Psalms refers to the Old Testament Psalter, which was integrated into Christian worship in the early church in other words, Old Testament Psalms were put to music, and these were the primary songs that were sung in the early church. Songs that emphasized the greatness of God. It's been a great joy here as we've been going through our Psalms expositional study, which we're going to continue here tonight. It's been a joy at times to be able to sing. I don't know if you've noticed this, but we've been singing various Psalms. That is. Uh, words taken from various psalms set to familiar tunes to us. Well, hymns refers to Christian songs that praise, they exalt, they celebrate God, and they specifically praise the Lord Jesus Christ and his redemption. It's interesting, some of the early church's hymns were ultimately included in inspired scripture. For example, it's widely believed that Philippians 2, 6 through 11 was initially an early church hymn known as a hymn of Christ. Spiritual songs are designated as such either to differentiate them from secular songs. They're not secular songs, they're spiritual songs. Or to note that they were heartfelt songs that were spontaneously sung in the spirit. And as such, spiritual songs were probably songs of testimony. Songs that covered a very broad range of music expressing various spiritual truths. These songs are songs that testify of God's power and of His comfort and of His help that He gives to us. So today, an example of a spiritual song would be something like I'd rather have Jesus. It's a song of testimony. This idea of individual testimony and song brings us to the next evidence of being spirit-controlled. Believers evidence that they are spirit-controlled by their individual worship. Now, as I stated earlier, Paul, of course, begins by emphasizing the horizontal, the corporate dimension to worship. But, of course, there is also this vertical, individual dimension to worship as well. Paul highlights this when he goes on to write, again, be filled with the Spirit, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. That's actually the order that we find in the Greek. And we, I think, all know what singing is. If you can recall, just a little while ago we were doing it, okay? It is us using our voices, that God-given instrument to declare the goodness and the greatness of our God. The Greek participle for making melody is salo, from which we get our English word psalms. And it literally means to, to pluck on a stringed instrument with one's fingers, as you would do, for example, with a harp. But in time, the term came to represent any kind of instrumental music. In either case, whether we are singing or making melody with an instrument, verse 19 tells us that we should do it, and it also tells us where we should do it from, from our heart, and to whom we're to do it. We're to do it to the Lord. So each one of us is to sing. Whether we do that in private, in our home, or in our car, or here publicly, we're to sing. And just to re- reinforce what I said a little while ago, this has nothing to do with musical talent. Every one of us, every one of us is repeatedly commanded to use our voice in praise to God. So the question is, is simply this. Are you obeying that command? It is a command. Are you singing from your heart to the Lord? For example, are you individually obeying Psalm 33, 1 and 3, which commands, Sing for joy in the Lord, O you righteous ones, Sing to him a new song. Are you individually obeying the command from Psalm 147, 1? Praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God, for it is pleasant and praise is becoming. And of course, there are many other similar verses to these that we can find throughout Scripture, but you get the idea we are commanded, repeatedly commanded to sing. It's something that we should be doing. And I just want to say it really is something that we will naturally do, and something that we will want to do if we are spirit-filled. So, if you find yourself never wanting to sing praise to the Lord, whether in private or in public, that should alarm you. Because again, what we're looking at here... Are evidences of being spirit controlled. So if there is no song coming from your heart, I ask you, what does that say about you? What does that say about you? Speaking of the heart, that's where our song of praise is to come from. Our songs of praise that come from our lips may sound good, they may sound bad to others. But ultimately, that really doesn't matter. What matters is that our song of praise is coming from our heart as an offering to the Lord. And if it is truly coming from our hearts, it doesn't matter if it sounds really bad to other people around you. It is beautiful music in the ears of God. If our song of praise does not come from our hearts, it doesn't matter if our song sounds beautiful to people, it is horrible in the ears of God. Listen, nothing is more offensive to God than to sing songs of praise to him but not mean it from your heart. To sing robotically, to sing religiously, to sing in an unengaged way. That is hypocritical. That is heartless worship. It's the kind of worship that Jesus condemned the Pharisees for. He said to them, well did Isaiah prophesy to you hypocrites, as it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me. Jesus made it clear to us, true worship is worship in spirit and in truth. In other words, our worship is to be doctrinally correct in truth. And it is to be from a heart of affection to the Lord in spirit. We are to mean and we are to, yes, feel the truth that we sing about God. We are to treasure him in our heart as we sing praises to him. And if we do this, we will please him. This is evidence that we are under the Spirit's control. But if we are not under his control, then we won't feel like singing praises to God. Or we will do so heartlessly and religiously or pridefully. That is, we will sing to be heard by others but not sing from the heart to the Lord. Which brings us to whom our songs are to be ultimately directed. Certainly, again, as we've already considered, our songs horizontally edify the brethren. That is necessary. That is good. But ultimately, our songs should have a vertical intention to them. And that is the glorifying of God. That is the highest purpose to our singing. Our singing is not for the purpose of entertaining others. It is not for the purpose of drawing attention to ourselves. No, the purpose of our singing is to exalt our great God. Our focus should not be on ourselves. It should not be on other people. It should be on him. One of the greatest composers of all time, Johann Sebastian Bach, once said, The aim of all music is the glory of God. And that man really believed that. Which is why the famous Lutheran composer signed all his works with the initials SDG. Soli Deo Gloria. For God's glory alone. So whether writing music for the court or writing music for the church... His work was done for God's glory. And likewise, our singing is to be to the Lord for his glory. Now, the Lord here is specifically referring to Jesus. So we know that his person and work ought to be central in our praise, in our singing. And yet, of course, our praise of Christ cannot be separated from God the Father and God the In fact, we're going to see here in a moment in verse 20, says that our thanks is always to be offered to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Father sent His Son for our redemption and has exalted Him. And of course, the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to bring attention to, to glorify God the Son. But ultimately, our, our worship is of the triune God. Praise of him, Father, Son, and Spirit, the three in one. It's to him, the Lord, we are to directly sing. Our worship is to be Godward. It is not to be manward. Our worship is not to be flesh-driven. It is not to be shallow. It's not to be hollow, ritualistic, or man-focused. It is to be spirit-driven, heartfelt, joyful, and God-focused. Our hearts should continually overflow with gratitude for God's goodness in Christ to us. And that gratitude should should come out of our lips in songs of praise. And yet, if we are honest here today, there are times in which we are not spirit controlled. And as a result, we do not feel like singing to the Lord from our hearts. So what do we need to do to correct that? First and foremost, we need to repent. (laughs) We need to confess our coldness of heart toward the Lord and ask him to forgive us. And then ask him to help us remember all the blessings in Christ he has freely given to us. And then we need to rejoice in song. And let me say we need to rejoice in song even if we do not feel like doing it. Why? Because often, even if our affectionate emotions for the Lord aren't there yet, if we do the right thing, if we start singing praises, our heart's emotions will eventually catch up. Just as we need to obey the Lord in other areas of our lives, even when we do not feel like obeying him, We are to obey his command to sing praises to him. This is not optional. But if we do praise him as he has commanded, even when we don't feel like it, the emotions will eventually come. And I think we see this quite obviously in several of the Psalms. Have you noticed this? The the psalmist will often start off his psalm down in the dumps. Overburdened by some trial that is in his life. And yet, what does he do? He sings. He reminds himself of who God is and what God has done. And what do you find? By the end of the psalm, his mood has completely shifted. Even though his circumstances hasn't changed, he has. We see this in the psalm we're going to be looking at tonight, Psalm 43. Why is this Change. Why? Why does the psalmist go from gloomy to rejoicing? It's because he's focused on the Lord. He sung praise to the Lord, and we need to do the same, even when we don't feel like doing so. So we need to repent of our sin. We need to remember the Lord, and then this will lead to rejoicing in Him. Now, along these lines, let me just recommend a few practical things we can do throughout the week that will actually encourage us to sing from the heart to the Lord. First, we should ask the Lord every day and throughout the day to put a song in our heart. Also, it's a good idea to incorporate singing into our personal devotions and our family devotions. Use a hymnal if you have one. Get out your smartphone, look up a hymn, and start singing, either individually or as a family. Further, as we sing, we should ask the Lord to help us to really think about the words that we are singing so that we really mean what we are singing. And further still, I want to recommend that we prepare ourselves for corporate worship. Listen, after a busy week, we shouldn't just Rush in here on the Lord's Day without first preparing our hearts. So I want to suggest that we take that extra special time on on Saturday, Saturday evening, even in the, the morning before coming here on the Lord's Day to spend some special time in prayer with the Lord, in God's word, communing with him to prepare our hearts so that when we get here, we're really ready to do this very important thing of corporate worship. Remember, you are coming here to glorify God through your song as well as to minister to those around you. Prepare your heart to do that in the right way. Finally, along those lines, once we are here, we should sing wholeheartedly. Again, belt it out. Sing loudly. Sing joyfully in corporate worship. We need to do this Again, so number one, we edify the brethren, and two, we glorify God with our thanksgiving. Which brings us to the third spirit-filled result found in our text. Believers evidence that they are spirit-controlled by their thanksgiving or thankfulness. Verse 20, Paul continues, be filled with the spirit, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, a a critical, complaining Christian is not filled with the Spirit. A person is filled with the flesh. Conversely, a Spirit-filled Christian is one who, as 1 Thessalonians says, gives thanks in all circumstances because he understands that this is God's will for me in Christ Jesus. Similarly, verse 20 says... We are to continually give thanks always. You know what that means? It means we are to give thanks when we are being blessed by the Lord, when things are going really well in our lives. We are to give thanks when we think about future blessings and future victories that the Lord will certainly give us. But it also means we need to give thanks to the Lord when things are presently really tough. We are to give thanks during our trials, and we are actually to give thanks for our trials. Yes, give thanks for them. As the text says, we are to give thanks for everything. How can we do this? Oh, we can only do this as we focus our attention on the Lord when we trust in him, when we rest in his sovereignty, when we really believe that he always knows best for all of our circumstances, and when we focus on his goodness. In other words, we need to submit to his sovereign goodness. And if we do, then the Spirit will control our thoughts, and if he's controlling our thoughts, he will will lead us into an attitude of gratitude, and out of that gratitude Welling up in our heart will come forth a song of praise cascading off our lips. This is one of the marks of being spirit-controlled. A spirit-filled believer is a thankful person. They're not a bitter person. They're not a grumpy person, a gloomy person, a grousing person, but a grateful person. And this is how we are to go through life no matter Our difficulties. Now, lest we think what I'm saying here, or what Paul is suggesting in our text, is somehow unrealistic. Let's just remember for a moment where this guy is when he writes the epistle to the Ephesians. He's in prison. And yet, though he is in chains, behind bars, he could write, Give thanks to God always for everything. Wrote that as the chains rattled on his hands. Indeed, Paul was a man full of the Holy Spirit. He really believed that God was absolutely good in all things. And the reason he believed that is because he knew God gave his only son for our good. And so he was confident, just as we should be. That God only intends our ultimate good in all things, including in our trials. Let's understand, brethren, since God gave us his best in giving us his son, we can know that he permits and that he uses hardships in our lives for our good. James 1.17 says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Now that is a wonderful verse, and Christians love to quote that verse quite often, but I think, unfortunately, many have forgotten what James wrote about right before writing that verse. He was writing about trials and how Christians go through trials And so we need to realize our trials are also good gifts from God. They're good. Because God ultimately uses them. For our good in conforming us more to Christ's image. And more importantly, God uses them for his own glory. Our good. God's glory, these are two things that we can always be thankful to God for. Spiritful Christians give thanks to God in all things. Why? Because they are submitted to his wisdom. They are submitted to his ways and all things. And because they are submitted to him, they also submit themselves to the people that he has put into their lives. Which brings us to the fourth consequence of being spirit controlled. Believers' evidence that they are spirit controlled by their submission. Verse 21, Paul writes, Be filled with the Spirit, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. That word submit means to arrange under, it was used in ancient times in the military. Uh, it referred to the, the subordination of soldiers to their commanders. What would good soldiers do? Good soldiers would surrender control of their life over to their superiors. They gave up their rights, they gave up their agenda, and they obeyed what they were told to do. And why did they do this? They did this for the good of others, they did it for their army buddies. And so it should be for us as Christians. We should give up our own agenda, our own rights to serve others for their good. If we are spirit controlled, like the Lord Jesus, we will not seek our own rights. We will not seek for others to serve us, but instead we will seek for ways for how we can honor and serve them, just as Christ did. Philippians 2, 3-5, Paul writes, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. A mindset that serves others... Like Christ served others, is really the basic idea behind verse 21 when it says, Submit to one another. We are to submit to one another in the sense that we are to serve one another. And so this means we are to submit both to those who have authority over us as well as submit to those who are under our authority. In other words, we're to serve all people. We're we're to seek the best interest. We're to seek the welfare of others before our own. When the Lord Jesus stooped down to wash the disciples' feet, we have to understand he was essentially submitting himself to them. In other words, what he was doing, even though he was Lord over them, he became their servant. And, of course, this surprised the disciples great. And, then of course, you got Peter over there, brash Peter, saying, No, Lord, I'm not going to let you do this act of service to me. But he eventually got it. They all understood what he was doing. Jesus was giving them an example that all of us, as his followers, are to follow. We are to follow his example of submitting to or serving one another. So in that sense, we must humbly submit ourselves to others. We must serve others, even those we have authority over. There is a very real sense in which we must submit ourselves to those who submit to us. And we've got to keep this in mind as we go forward in our study through Ephesians. Because in this next section, again, As we move forward to verses 22 through chapter 6, verse 9, Paul's going to give a whole lot of teaching on submission. And so what we have here in verse 21 is sort of an introductory verse or a transitional verse into that section. It's, It's introducing us to the principle of believer's submission. It's a principle that Paul will expand on in this next section when he talks about The various relationships, particularly in the home, husbands and wives, parents, children, slaves, masters, or we would say today, employers and employees. Spirit-filled Christian submits himself to others out of reverence for Christ. We need to understand theologically that the Holy Spirit is a humble, serving spirit. Thus Christ, who was perfectly filled by the Spirit, humbly served others. And as we follow Christ, and as we are filled by the same Spirit he was filled with, guess what we're going to do? We're also going to humbly serve others. Even if we are leaders, even if we have authority over others, we should humbly serve them. There's a sense in which Christians in authority should submit to their subordinates. So, for example, there is a sense in which Christian parents should submit to their children in the sense that they serve them. A Christian husband should submit to his wife in the sense that he should serve her. He should meet her needs while at the same time Having headship over her. So we're going to see here in the coming weeks a Christian wife is to be subject to the authority of her husband, but her husband is to be subject to the needs of his wife. We gotta understand true spirit filled Christ like leadership involves humble service. The point is, is all Christians, all Christians are to submit themselves to one another. So there's this mutual submission. But why should we do this? What's the motivation for doing this? Well, Paul goes on to say that we are to do this in the fear or out of reverence for Christ. Jesus is Lord who has authority over our lives. He is king, and therefore we are to do what he commands. Well, what does he command us to do? He commands us to serve one another just as he served others, as he served us. Jesus is the king. We belong to his kingdom, and therefore out of reverence and awe for him, we should gladly submit to his rule. And how do we do that? We do that by serving others. So I want to ask you today, Christian friend, do you truly reverence the Lord Jesus? Do you reverence him? Well, if you do, then like him, you will stoop down and you will serve others. You will put others ahead of yourself. You will love others more than yourself. Brethren, God's word tells us that we are to Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love and honor, giving preference to one another. We need to understand, spirit-filled Christians are serving Christians, as well as thankful Christians, as well as worshiping, singing Christians. These are the evidences. These are the results of being spirit-controlled. But I want to say, as some theologians point out, and I think they're correct, These are not just the results of being spirit-controlled. In a very real sense, they are also the means, the the way to being spirit-controlled. Surely they are both the results and the means of being spirit-controlled. When we worship individually and worship corporately, we are filled by the Spirit of God, which results in what? What? More worship. When we are thankful, we are filled by the Spirit, which results in expressing more thanksgiving. When we submissively serve others, we are filled by the Spirit, which results in what? Submissively serving others. So then, out of reverence for Christ, let us be filled. Let us be controlled by the Spirit that we might sing praise to the Lord that we may be thankful to him and that we may serve others like him. Amen. Let's close in a word of prayer.